Let's face it, our world is in trouble. One of the biggest problems is we have too many people. Nobody wants to talk about it. You'll never hear about a politician talk about it, but it's true. Yeah. We're destroying our resources, fracking is destroying our, our groundwater. We need to get our act together or we're not going to make it. I, I got love for the game. Scott Walter, I am really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, I know you were telling me about some cool stuff that you got coming up. So we'll, we'll try to keep it a, around an hour or so. Um, but I have a lot of juicy questions. And just a little background about me, man. Uh, you know, obviously, so for the, the viewers and the listeners watching right now, Scott is the host of America Unearthed. Uh, is that show still running right now? <laughs> well, it's still running. Um, uh, we're not making any content right now. We're shooting any episodes, and I'm not sure if we're going to come back or not. Um, but I've said that before, and um, we were off for about three years, and then it came back. And, um, and we, so we did another season last year of 10 episodes that were, I thought, pretty good, a lot of fun. Yeah. And, um, and then, of course, COVID hit, so... The world has changed um, probably forever, but we are looking at doing our own thing. So um, stay tuned on that. <laughs> that sounds fun a lot. And, and, you know, so I've obviously watched your show and that's how I originally saw you. I think I saw a YouTube clip from the History Channel was playing reruns of your show or whatever on, on YouTube. Right. Um, and so anyways... Uh, it seems like, you know, your books and everything you kind of, a lot of your research revolves around the Holy Grail and the Templars, uh, but then the show kind of obviously goes into a lot more stuff. Would you say that that's right. like your main interest and specialty is the Templars and whatnot? Oh, definitely. No, no doubt about it. And, you know, the whole thing started with the Kensington Runestone and, you know, that's going back 20 years now. And I didn't know anything about this world at all. I mean, I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a geologist. I, I collect Lake Superior agates. That's one of my big passions. And then I run my laboratory doing material forensics. And, and then when that runestone came into the lab, my whole world changed. I just went off in a whole another direction. And, you know, and basically what happened is I did this, this forensic work. I compared the weathering of the uh, inscription. Uh, the weathering of, of tombstones, same geology, same weathering environment, all the criteria was, was consistent, and it was hundreds of years old. Therefore, it had to be genuine because everybody said it was a late 19th century hoax. Well, it hasn't been in a weathering environment since it was pulled out of the ground. So that 200-year um, window pushes back from the date it was found. Well, that makes a hoax impossible, right? A late 19th century hoax impossible. So the only other thing you have is it's genuine. Well, once you say that, and once I did say that, um, pardon my French, but that's when the shit hit the fan. Let me tell you, um, I was criticized. I was attacked and, and, and questioned. And I'm like, the hell's going on here? I didn't understand it, you know? But, and, and just to be, to be fair, um, I'm a human being. I'm not perfect. And if, you know, if, if somebody has a question about something that we did, ask it. And if I made a mistake, I'll fix it. 
but that's not what it was. Um, they just didn't like the result. But my position on that is tough hop. So anyway, once we establish that it was an authentic artifact, then these three things have to be true, right? Somebody carved it. They came from some place for some reason. And so that's what I've spent, you know, the years after we authenticated it, trying to figure it out in part because people said it was fake and there was all this angst and anger. And, you know, I didn't know that there was a narrative that was accepted in academia and this didn't fit. Well, in my, my world, which is the professional world, there is no paradigm. There is no narrative. It is what it is. The results are the results. And if you don't like it, tough hop. That's, that's life. So anyway, um, I think we've answered all those questions. Who did so it, came from, and why? This rune stone that you're talking about, is this one that has the hooked X on it? Yes, 22 times. Wow. That's no coincidence. What's that the name of this rune stone again? It's called the Kensington rune stone. Found in Minnesota, here I live. Wow. Who, and it was found on an archaeological dig? No, it was found by a, a, a Swedish immigrant farmer who was cutting down trees in preparation for farming. He was homesteading the property. And he, um, he and his two oldest sons, this is in the fall of 1898, yeah. were clearing uh, trees. And what they did is they cut off the roots around the base of the tree. Then they took a winch and they pulled it down, which pulled the roots up and tightly wrapped almost directly under the stone was this, was this 202 pound stone, the rune stone. There it is right there. And this is the one that you've been researching a lot since it was found yeah. basically. Okay. Well, <laughs> I've, uh, I, I wrote a book with a linguist called the Kensington Runestone, Compelling New Evidence. It's 574 pages. And the reason for that is because um, extraordinary claims demand extraordinary proof. And this book proves the stone is authentic. It answers every question. It is the absolute Bible on the runestone. We left no, stir, uh, no stone unturned, pardon the pun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally. So, and, and just so you know, Patrick, yeah. obviously you're not familiar with the runestone. The runestone was carved by the Knights Templar. It was placed as a land claim. It says it right on there. Okay. 22 Northmen on this acquisition business or taking up land from yeah. Vinland far to the west. Vinland is the northeast coast of North America. Um, there are other rune stones that uh, were carved by the Templars that were found in Maine. There were three spirit pod rune stones. There's probably 50 hooked X's on those, and they also refer to Vinland, and they have a map, and it's the same region. So, you know, we, we, we can, I can go down this rabbit hole as far as you want, but yeah. the bottom line is they came over here to claim this land. Why did they do that? Well, the reason is simple. If you know anything about the Templars, they were persecuted in 1307, Bad Luck Friday, right? October yeah. 13th. They were put down by the King of France, Philip the Fair, and the Roman Catholic Church. And we are told the reason was is because the King of France was he heavily indebted with the Templars, which he was. But 
like all historical events, the truth is a lot more complicated than what the narrative has been dumbed down to, right? Yeah. And the truth is, the Roman Catholic Church realized that the true ideology of the Templars was not Catholicism. They simply pretended to be Catholics. Their true ideology was monotheistic dualism, um, the veneration of a Godhead that has dualistic aspects, including the feminine and the male aspects that keep things in balance, right? Um, and that single deity at the top. Now, the hooked X symbolizes that ideology. That's why it's such a sacred symbol. That's, it was a secret symbol that only the initiated understood what it meant. Now, when the academics looked at the runestone back in 1898, they didn't know what the hell they were looking at. The hooked X, well, we've never seen it, so it must be bad, so it's a hoax. No, guys, you've never seen it, and that's all it means. It means you don't know what it is. Admit it, right? Well, they couldn't admit it, so they have to make it go away. Well, like the logic I told you that somebody did it, they came from someplace, they came from somewhere, that also means that everything in this, this inscription, if it's authentic, has got to exist over in Scandinavia. Now, after I did the initial work, over the course of two and a half years, I went to Sweden five times. And guess what? What? I found everything. You found more hooks X's. I found, I found everything. I mean, all the language problems, all the strange ruins, everything um, was there. Now, a lot of, and of course, all the academics in Scandinavia, all that did was piss them off because, you know, I went, I came over from America and I'm a geologist, remember? I'm not a linguist, although I learned from one of the top guys in the world, I know enough to be extremely dangerous, certainly enough to know what I was looking for. And all I did was piss them off even more because I went in their backyard and found what they were too lazy to go look for because it was the hopeless. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely want to, what's up? Well, there's a lot I that comes you up. You can't make this up, man. <laughs> yeah. There, I mean, it's very, it's a very interesting story. And especially if you follow the show, your show, American on Earth, it's almost like you tracking down like all the basically chasing leads on the hooked X and trying to find the proof and whatnot. And it's very fascinating, all the different rabbit chases it almost leads you on. And you brought up the rune stone that was one of them was in Maine and it was literally stolen right before you went there. Right? Well, Oh no. Well, that's the fifth one. That's the Narragansett rune. Stone. That's another one that has the hooked X. There's five of them total. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that one, um, we were there, we studied it Not long after the show. It was, well, before I was there, um, it was stolen. So uh, that was right before we were gonna film it. So what we ended up doing was incorporating that into the show because it really happened. And it turns out the guy that owned the property right there, a guy who's extremely wealthy and didn't like the fact that people were coming up across public land, walking along the beach, which is not private land. Now, if they went up on his land, that's another thing. But if you walk along the beach during low tide, that's, that's not his land, right? Yeah. It, it pissed him off. So he stole the stone, put it in his garage. And, you know, I don't know what he was going to do with it, but eventually it was recovered. 
Okay, that's good. I, I was unsure if like, you know, maybe it was like government conspiracy coming in and taking the stone <laughs> from you guys. No, it was, you know, the funny part is, and I've never really talked about this before, but the Christmas before the spring when it was stolen, we, myself and a couple of other researchers that live out in Rhode Island, Richard Lynch and David Brody and I, went to a Christmas party of the people that lived in that neighborhood. And what we wanted to do was lobby them to, to help us get that stone out of the water to a safe place. And I'll never forget that guy and his wife were there and he was sitting on the mantle of the fireplace. And I gave this impassioned speech trying to convince these people to support the cause, right? We wanna do something good. We wanna preserve something that we think is part of of uh, our pre-Columbian history. And that guy sat there and he goes, that stone belongs to me. I can do anything I want. I can take it out of the water tomorrow. So when it disappeared, funny, that was the first guy I thought of. <laughs> mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to help do, and I, I feel like I've preparing for this interview, kind of binge watched a lot of the, the relevant episodes that I could get through before the yeah. this interview. And what's coming together for me, and I, I kind of want to connect the dots for anybody listening who hasn't seen the show, is the significance of the, the hooked X leading to the Templars. But why is that important? It's because that implies a different history than what we've been ta taught, as you say, which is Christopher Columbus was the one who discovered the Americas or whatever, which seems to be not true from your research, huh? Oh, come on, man. I mean, think about this, okay? This is how ridiculous this is. And, and it's really a, a much more complicated story than people realize. Because, I mean, first and foremost, Christopher Columbus came over here four times. Never once did he set foot on the land that would become the United States of America. In fact, he never set, set foot on the continent, but he did in what is now Panama on his fourth trip. But the whole notion that he discovered America, even if he did set foot on the continent, is ridiculous. I mean, how can you discover a landmass that already has millions of people living there? I mean. What, do you, what are we talking about here? This is ridiculous. It was political, purely political. And what it did in part was lay the groundwork for the, the whole notion of manifest destiny, right? And part of it was, and this was, this was really Christian dogma is what it was. It was based on Christianity. Um, and the church basically said, look, it is our sovereign right. Since nobody has been here before, you have to establish that, right? This allows you, this gives you the right to take this land. It is our God-given sovereign right to take this land. Well, what about those natives? Well, they had a plan for that too. The natives were savages, right? And therefore not worthy and therefore justified the genocide that took place. I mean, this is the age-old concept that human beings have been doing to other human beings forever. We're doing it today. Our president does it every day, right? He dehumanizes a group of people so you can persecute them. I mean, it's BS, but it's nothing new. Hmm. So how did, how did this connect with the Hooked X to eventually becoming your search for the Holy Grail? What's that connection there? Okay, well, that's a great question. And, the, and, and there, 
it, it goes back to later research that we did. In fact, my wife did um, in a book she wrote with uh, one of the brightest guys I've ever met. His name is Alan Butler. He's a British researcher who knows more about the Templars than anyone. And he was the one that got me on this road to realize that the standard narrative about the history of the Templars is a bunch of BS too. Their true ideology was something they kept veiled. Um, and uh, they didn't want people to know what their true ideology was, most notably of the church. But if you think about what they did, the Holy Grail, what is the Holy Grail, right? Some people say it's the bloodline, right? The people that we call them the Venus families that go back in time all the way to Jesus, Mary Magdalene, the Essene, and beyond to, to, to Egypt and beyond. And that's true. It's absolutely true. In fact, many of those people that are descendants of Jesus and Mary Magdalene's bloodline are walking the earth today. You're talking to one. I'm part of that lineage. So a whole bunch of other people. I mean, hundreds of thousands, if not millions. And the point is, I don't consider myself special. I'm not special. And, and neither are any of these other people. Now, they have a, a bloodline that goes back to uh, some pretty important people, but a lot of people do. It's, it's, to, in my opinion, it's not that big of a deal. However, back at their time during the Templars, these Venus families were the ones that put together this whole uh, plan of, you know, the, the, the people were called something differently before the Templars and after the Templars, these um, societies, if you will, of, of families and, and, and initiates are still around today and they're called something else. But the whole idea and the reason the Templars came over here and what their long range plan was, was to establish a sanctuary where people could live in freedom, where people could practice any religion they want, right? Um, I'm a Freemason. One of the things we do is when you take your obligation and you join, you can take it on any holy book you want. A Bible, a Torah, a Quran, our indigenous brothers take it on an eagle feather. And the point is this is that regardless of your faith, that God, whatever you want to call it, however you want to venerate it, in all of these religions, we're talking about the same thing, right? Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, we all eat, sleep, shit, fart, make love. Doesn't matter where you're from, what color you are, what race you are, we all do that same stuff. And every single one of us, if I took a knife, you took a knife. Anyone on this planet takes a knife. What color is our blood? Red. You get the point, right? Yeah. So what's what? One thing that that really stood out to me is like the differing uh, stories and kind of where they're coming from. And like you said, it seems like a political thing because you know Indiana Jones, which I, I would say you're like the real life Indiana Jones. It seems <laughs> like. But the old Indiana Jones movie and like kind of what everybody's been taught. I even did a report on it in high school. Like everybody really? thinks the Holy Grail <laughs> as a cup, like the chalice used at the Last Supper. So where, uh, and, and I've also obviously heard through academics like yourself 
the the other story especially i think the da vinci code popularized it that it's the the bloodline so is yeah. it a, a templar freemason uh ideology that just differs from the catholic church and that's where the narrative of the bloodline comes from where did that bingo bingo <laughs> look the, the, and, and I don't want to be uh, offensive to my Christian friends out there. Um, and I appreciate that they have a faith and a belief system that they've been taught. But I'm just going to be real, okay? Um, I'm a scientist. I'm a pragmatist. I've lived on this planet for a long time. And all I can say is until I see a virgin birth and somebody rise from the dead, I'm not buying it, okay? That didn't happen. That's a narrative that was created by the Roman Catholic Church as a way of controlling people's thought process, right? That's yeah. what it is. That's what organized religion is. What we're talking about in Freemasonry, in Templarism, in, in um, our Native brothers have got it figured out better than anyone. That is spirituality. And first and foremost, embracing each other embracing yourself, embracing this beautiful world that we, we live in. I mean, who better than, than the indigenous people around the world who know better than how to live in balance with their environment than them? Nobody does, right? And the more you get to know about them and understand their culture, the more you will appreciate it and the more you will be disappointed in the way our country treated those people. But I'll tell you, something I don't tell too many people. But when the Templars came over here, they carried the bloodline in their veins. And the ones that stayed behind, and a lot of them stayed behind, why would they want to go back to Europe during medieval times when the church was hunting them down, <laughs> the, the monarchs of Europe were hunting them down, and the plague was ravaging Europe? Are you kidding me? I'll take my chances over there, right? Yeah. And they stayed. They intermarried. A lot of people don't realize that the indigenous people on this continent have their own secret society that is exactly the same as Freemasonry. You know how I know that? How? Because I've been in their lodges. I've been welcomed in their lodges and in their sweats. And so when the Templars came over, they shared a similar ideology. Their belief system was the same and they embraced the sacred feminine, the great goddess. So when you talk about the chalice and the bloodline, the chalice is the womb of the goddess, of the feminine, because this is where life comes from, right? Mm. That's the chalice. And so the Templars operated on this continent for centuries before contact. And nobody knew about it. So I didn't, you know, it's, it's, it, it's kind of like that age old saying, right? Well, how do we know the Templars were here if there's no record of it? Well, first of all, there is a record of it. The rune stones, the Newport Tower, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. But it's kind of that question, if a tree falls in the woods and there's nobody to hear it, is there sound? Did it happen? Well, of course there's sound. Of course it happened. Just because you didn't record it doesn't mean it didn't happen. When in fact, it is recorded. And these documents, the structures that are here, the artifacts that are here have been screaming at us, but nobody was listening because they intentionally turned a blind eye because it didn't fit the narrative. Yeah. And, 
you know, when the Templars came over and they aligned in ritual, in sweat, um, intermarriage, one of the intentions of the Templars was to put the bloodline into the indigenous people to protect it over here. That's part of the reason why the Roman Catholic Church was largely behind the genocide that happened. They knew what happened. They knew all about this. They still know all about it. Yeah. But they're not telling anyone because it undermines their message. And they were happy to get, get rid of the natives because it also got rid of the bloodline. So one of the biggest things that stands out to me as far as the major difference here between both narratives of what could potentially happened with Jesus Christ and the bloodline or the Holy Grail is, you know, the Catholic Church obviously seems motivated to have us believing that Jesus was the son of the Virgin Mary. Why do they want to push that narrative versus the one that your research is essentially saying, which is uh, they were married, they had offspring and you know, Jesus was a normal guy. Well, Jesus was not necessarily a normal guy. He was a very, he was, he was a leader. He was somebody who was deeply initiated and he was a teacher, just like his wife, Mary Magdalene, right? I mean, they created this whole story, right? And they elevated Jesus to this, this, you know, the son of God position so that people would revere him so that, you know, they could create a narrative where, you will do this, you will venerate this story. Otherwise, if you don't, you're going to go to hell, you're going to go to purgatory, all these bad things are going to happen. As long as you toe the line, you're going to be okay. I mean, it's just a bunch of crap. I mean, it is. Look, the idea of two people getting married and having children, wow, what a novel concept. I mean, give me a break. This is the way it works, okay? Yeah. Now, getting back to Jesus, was Jesus an important person? He was, but Jesus was born. He was a baby, knew nothing at one point, and somebody had to teach him, right? Who was that person? Mm. John the Baptist. Now, you, if, if you're a Christian, you were taught that John the Baptist baptized Jesus, right? Yeah. But when I look at the depictions in stained glass, in art, depending on the period, as a Freemason, who, somebody who understands symbolism, allegory, code, colors, hand gestures, when I look at those depictions, what I see is a Masonic initiation. That's what happened. I will tell you this, in Freemasonry, all of our lodges are dedicated to the Holy Saint John. Never do you hear the word Jesus because somebody came before him. Now, if you want me to tell you another reason why Jesus is special that has nothing to do with the Roman Catholic Church, I'll tell you. Yeah, I would love to know. You ready, brother? I'm ready, brother. <laughs> All right, here we go. So when you get time, I want you to research something for me and okay. write it down. It's called Procession of the Equinoxes. Got it? Yep. Okay. Let me see if I can explain it to you real briefly. Basically, <clears throat> for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years, the shaman, the medicine men, the um, priests, the astronomers, 
on the morning of the spring equinox before sunrise. They would go to the top of the mountains, the top of the pyramids, um, a, high, a high point, and they would look to the east. And what they would see is one of the primary constellations of the zodiac, one of the 12 primary constellations of the zodiac in the eastern sky. And, when the, and, and whatever constellation, Capricorn, Sagittarius, Leo, Aries, whatever it is, that was in that position when the sun rose and went through that constellation, that was considered sacred, that was considered an age. Now, this zodiacal belt that has the 12 constellations that goes around the Earth, because of the Earth's wobble, that primary constellation in the eastern sky on the morning of the spring equinox, slowly but surely, that belt rotates. And that constellation in the eastern sky eventually settles below the horizon and the next one cycles through. That is what we call the beginning of the new age, okay? Now, it takes 26,000 years, give or take a couple hundred years, for the, this zodiacal belt to go around the earth one time. Okay. If you divide that by 12, it's about 2,160 years for each age to be in that eastern position in the sky. However, all the constellations are not the same size. Some are big, some are small. So the period that they're in that position depends on the size of the constellation. Now, let me give you an example of a period in time when something happened that historians, archeologists, and Egyptologists don't understand. You know who King Tut is, right? Oh yeah. You know his father, Akhenaten, who holds the crook and the flail on his chest? Yes, I've seen that. I don't know, I've, I've heard of it. Um, okay, yeah. well, I'm gonna teach you right now. Yeah. So the, the flail, right? Okay. The flail herds the bulls, the followers of Taurus, the old religion when Akhenaten came into power. Why? Because the constellation of Taurus had set below the horizon. And he, as the initiated astronomer priest that he was, knew that it was time to change the religion from polytheistic dualism multiple gods yeah and and with dualistic aspects to monotheistic dualism a single god with dualistic aspects if you look at the cross crook and the flail on its chest it looks like a hooked x the only difference is the crook represents the new religion the new religion after Taurus taurus set is aries the ram that's and the crook herds the the sheep the, the ram, the sheep of Aries, right? Crossed on his chest represented his attempt to unite the two religions, but it failed. And the old religion, the pharaohs that embraced the old Apis bull culture that was around for 2,700 years, because Taurus is a big constellation, became ingrained in the Egyptian culture. And they said, you know what? We kind of like this old religion. Screw you. We're going to keep it. And they drove his people out. If you read about Akhenaten, they destroyed his statues, they defaced them, 
And this is the reason why. Nobody knows why. This is why. His followers then went north, right? And they settled in a land we now call Israel. Mm-hmm. And those followers became the Israelites, right? That's the Moses Exodus story. That's what that is. So he was the Pharaoh that Moses was bringing the plagues upon. Some people say he was Moses, right? Now remember, the Bible teachings, and I'm just going to be straight with you, okay? It's allegorical. You have to dig deeper to understand what's really being said. On one level, the Bible, people take it literally. That's how it's really supposed to be. The common people, the uninitiated, understand it one way. The ones that are initiated realize there's a whole different story being told. All right. Now, Aries is a small constellation. It only lasted about 1400 years. And then the last Pharaoh, the last grand master of the age of Aries the Ram is a guy who's typically depicted in artwork wearing a wool shawl from a sheep carrying a shepherd's crook, a lamb in his arm or a lamb in his feet. Who am I talking about? Jesus? No. John the Baptist. John the Baptist, okay. Right? And he was the last pharaoh of the age of Ares the Ram, who initiates somebody we now call the Fisher King, right? Who was born of the Lamb of God. What does that mean? It means he was born in the last four years of the age of Aries the Ram, Jesus, and then he becomes the Fisher King. Why? Because he's the new king, the new grandmaster, the new pharaoh of the new age that came after Aries. What is it? Is that Pisces? Pisces, exactly. Pisces the fish. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a follower of the fish, right? Yeah. What does that mean? Now you know. It's all about astronomy. So now let me ask you this. So my point with Jesus and John the Baptist, it's not so much Jesus's importance isn't necessarily who he was as when he was. Does that make sense? That does make sense. It was more of a timing thing because we were entering a new age with the constellations rotating in the sky. Bingo, you got it. Now, how long has it been? That was about 2,000 years ago, right? Funny, guess what? Are we going into a new age? We are going into a new age. But even more important than that, Patrick, buckle up for this. Are you ready? Yes. understands this. Okay. That's the reason we have so much, this is the reason we have so much turmoil right now. This was predicted, okay? We're right in the middle of it. What, how does this fit into the term Kali Yuga, the, the Yugas? And like, have you ever heard of that term? No, I haven't. Oh, it sounds familiar. It was basically talking about the same types of things, but like a Yuga lasts like 20,000 years or something and we're passing oh, into- Oh, that's a great year. That's a great year. That's what we're talking about. That's procession. Okay. That's- just a different name for it, different cultures around the world. They all kept track of it. They all understand this. Yeah. Um, and they, they, they might call it something different. But here's what's important. It's been about 2,000 years. Pisces is kind of an average size constellation, about 2,000 years. 
the Mayans kept track of all this. Do you remember in 2012? Yeah. There was all this talk about the world was coming to an end and yeah. the Mayan calendar ends and, oh my God, we're all going to die, all that BS. It was all about procession. But here's the key. It's not just the end of the age of Pisces the fish. It's the end of the 26,000 year long cycle. What we are living through right now, you, me, and everybody listening, is one of the most profound moments in human history. Absolutely true. And when you understand procession, I mean, I did a show a couple of years ago where I was a guest on um, a History Channel special called The Last Pope. And basically what the story was about is uh, Brother Malachi, who was a 12th century monk, Cistercian monk, the Templars are Cistercian, made a prediction that in 2012, the current Pope would resign. That happened. The new Pope would be from the new world, not the old world. That happened. Francis is from Argentina. And he would be the last Pope. Huh. Hmm. Now, what does that mean? Well, we'll find out, right? Yeah. But all I can tell you is I knew about this then. And when Francis went up on the balcony and he flashed a sign, I knew right away he's on our side. And he's been great, right? Yeah. For a Catholic priest, this guy has been so progressive. He's pissing all the old cardinals and, and, and you know, <laughs> priests off. Because he understands this, because yeah. he knows what's going on. So my question to you uh, regarding the, the new ages and stuff, it seems yeah. like a lot of these predictions, if you will, are coming with the, the timing of the new age coming, right? So any events that happen in the real world, the things that come of this, is this because we are reacting to the fact that we are in a new age or is there something spiritual going on here where it's all connected and we just happen to have a worldwide pandemic? The things just happen to happen at these times, you know? Um, that's a great question. And, and I, I guess my answer would be, honestly, I, I really don't know, but what I think is going on is it's, it's kind of all of this stuff. Um, this time was, you know, like Malachi predicted what was going to happen in 20. How the hell did he know that? Well, the reason is he understood procession, right? Yeah. That's when this thing ends. And now we're moving into the age of Aquarius, where two rivers flow together as one. That's one of the symbols, right? Where people come together and figure it out. Because let's face it, our world is in trouble. And, and, and it's in big trouble. One of the biggest problems is we have too many people. Nobody wants to talk about it. You'll never hear about a politician talk about it, but it's true. Yeah. We're destroying our resources. Fracking is destroying our, our groundwater. We need to get our act together or we're not going to make it. And so this is this turbulent time. If you sit down with native shamans, they've known all about this. And we have a choice right now. It's up to us to decide what kind of a world that we want to leave for our kids, our grandkids, and the ones we'll never meet. And quite frankly, my generation is a big part of the problem. You know, I mean, we want things to go back to the way they were in the 60s and the 50s and the 70s, and it ain't happening, man. Yeah. America that we knew back then, it's gone. And you either have to embrace change 
or you're going to get run over by it. And all I know is, is that when I talk to people that are like me, I don't learn much. When I talk to people that come from other places, have different ideas and, and beliefs, I learn and I grow and they learn from me. And it's a cool thing, I think, but that's me. One thing that you, you said there that was really interesting is, you know, our population's getting out of control. And it reminded me of one thing that really fascinated me, which was Georgia Guidestones. Oh, yeah. Talked about out of nowhere. And it said, you know, it apparently had like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, 10 new commandments for human to live by. And one of them had to do with decreasing the population. It said that the uh, sustainable human population should be no more than 500 million like one sixteenth the number of people, almost one sixteenth the number of people that we have on the planet today. Now, that is the one thing that just set everybody off about the Georgia Guidestones that, that told um, people of a certain faith, of a, of a, you know, a Roman Catholic faith, it, it just lit them up because one of the things that the church has taught for centuries is, is uh, you know, continue to procreate, the more the merrier, have lots of kids, and the reason is they'll have more Catholics, they'll de- donate more money, and they'll get even more wealth. I mean, that's, that was the model, but it has really been problematic for this, for this world. And um, Is there any scientific relevance to that number, though? To 500 million? Yeah, because like, you know, the whole story behind that, we don't necessarily know who put those up, who funded putting that up. And there's probably a lot of theories out there as far as what I could tell from your show, obviously. Right. right. Um, and what I'm thinking, if I want to go conspiratorial, if it is someone who's trying to either on the Templar side or on, against the Templars in the Freemasons, right? But if it's someone who has a plan like a new world order, that also fascinates me with a lot of the things where the theories of the Denver airport talking about a virus and then recent events. And I'm kind of starting right. to see how these may or may not be connecting. Um, is there any relevance to that? Like, is everything else on there pretty factual as well? Well, I think that most, most people would embrace all the other tenets of what's on the stones. Embrace nature, right? Um, uh, there's, there's, I mean, everything, I, I don't remember the specifics right now because I haven't looked at it in a while, but I remember those were the two that I remember. And, um, you know, I think people forget we're part of nature, right? <laughs> it's, 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 we are part of this whole ecosystem. And when a species dies, a little bit of us dies. And um, I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling down or I just, you know, I need a little, I've had too much humanity. I like to go for a walk in the woods. I'll go out and I'll look for agates or, you know, I just need to reconnect with nature and it calms me down. It always makes me feel better. And that's not just a psychological thing. It's in our DNA. And so if we continue to deforest, to pollute our air and water, to uh, destroy our natural, you know, consume our natural resources um, and not use the technology that we already have that's clean it's just stupid. And eventually it'll be our undoing. And, um, you know, I, I, I think everybody should embrace the philosophy that whatever you do in your little part of, of the world, you should always have a goal of trying to leave the world 
a little bit better than you found it. And if everybody did that, imagine, you know? Yeah. It's all, it's also so unfortunate because I think a lot of people, I don't think that there's any one person, at least anybody worth talking to or has any power who would disagree with that statement. Right. But I think the problem is in society for any change to happen, there's gotta be meetings. There's gotta be votes. There's gotta be all these things to where no progress really happens. Like, it's like the age old thing where people say these textbooks are decades out of date sometimes because how long does it take to get schools to adopt a new textbook or a new way of thinking? And that's what always like kind of fascinated me with like this phrase that I've heard you say commonly is like, this could rewrite history. But in reality, what would it actually take for people to be okay with history being rewritten with the new evidence? Like you said, when people see the hooked X, they just choose to ignore it versus say, what does this actually mean? And, right. But then when I see some of your research where all these rune stones have a hooked X and then you go to a church in, I think, is it London or Paris? Where they no, the, I, I think you're talking about the one uh, in Tomar, Portugal. Mm. Was uh, the main seat of the, of the Knights Templar order in Portugal. Um, and after the put down, they became the Knights of Christ. A lot of people don't realize that that order in Portugal the Knights of Christ continued on for 500, over 500 years. They weren't officially disbanded until 1835. Think about that. So when people say the Templars disappeared in 1307, sorry, it didn't happen. That's not true. Even that's not true, you know? Yeah. Um, so kind of, I guess on the same line, I, I, like I said, I have a lot of things that I want to ask you about. So Fire away, you man. You mentioned the... Something about Venus, the, the bloodline being connected to Venus, you specifically said. So what is the connection with Venus? Why is Venus significant in that connection? <laughs> That's a great question. All right. So I'm going to ask you to represent the audience. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. And you have to be honest because either you know or you don't know. Okay. This is a yes or no question. Yes, sir. But I'm going to start off by setting it up would you agree that the most iconic symbol of the united states is the five-pointed star would you agree with that uh if i connect that to the pentagon then sure and then especially with the way that washington dc is laid out um, i can see a lot of that but i would definitely also think of you know the the american flag the the bald eagle things like that what's on the american flag uh, 13 stripes, 50 stars, red, white, 50, blue. 50, five pointed stars. Okay. You're, you got me. Okay. Now are we on the same page? Yes. Okay. Um, and the more you look, I mean, if you look at any one of our military, their uniforms, you'll see five pointed stars all over it. Right. Um, the more on our currency, you'll see five pointed stars, usually 13 of them. Now, I say this for a reason. I mean, America's team is who? Um, America World Police. <laughs> no, America's team. They call them the Dallas Cowboys, right? Oh, okay. okay. I'm a Chiefs fan, so I can't, I got to think of yeah, it. I know, <laughs> I know. The hell with the Cowboys. I'm a Vikings <laughs> fan. But anyway, um, what's on their helmet? Five-pointed star. Yeah. Now, I think everybody would agree that it's an important iconic symbol of America. But let me ask you this. Do you know the origin of it? 
Um, no, I don't. No, you don't. Nobody knows the origin of it. When I give lectures, I will often start my lecture by saying, how many people know the origin? Everybody knows what it is. It's everywhere, right? But nobody understands how this became, how could this symbol be become the symbol of our nation and nobody knows the origin of it? I find that incredible. I'm going to tell you. And you're also then now going to understand the whole, one of the one of the ways uh, the, one of the origins of sacred numbers. Okay, <clears throat> do you know what the most sacred number to the Templars is? Uh, I'm going to guess 366. Eight. Eight. The number. If you look at a Templar cross, it's got eight points. Okay. The tower has eight columns. Eight is everywhere. The reason for that is because as we view the planet Venus astronomically, the third brightest heavenly body in the sky behind the sun and the moon is the planet Venus. Okay. As we view its movements relative to Earth, over eight Earth years, it makes the five-pointed star. Wow. So the five-pointed star is the symbol that means Venus. Now, why is Venus important and why is it the symbol of our nation? Who founded our country? Freemasons, right? Yeah. Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, all of them. In fact, 53 of the 56 signers of the Constitution were Freemasons, okay? And Freemasonry came directly from Templarism. So the Freemasons founded our country, and these are the symbols that they used. They go way back. So why that five-pointed star, and why is it a symbol of Venus that represents the feminine? That's why you see all these goddess statues all over our country, and especially in Washington, D.C., because it's about the feminine by about five to one. Go to, go to D.C. and walk, walk them all. Count how many female statues you see and how many male statues. So why feminine? The reason is, if you take the five-pointed star, okay, inside is what? Pentagon. A pentagon. Very good. If you take any one of those five lines in the pentagon and you assign it a value of one, the distance of that arm, if you extend it to any one of those five arms, the two lines that make them up, the horizontal, and then it goes out on the arm, the ratio of one, this distance on every one of those arms is 1.1618. That ratio is something called the golden ratio or the Fibonacci sequence. And it continues on. The, the most uh, common symbol of the Fibonacci sequence is the spiral, okay? It's the rate of growth of everything in nature, everything. If you look at a plant, if you look at, you know, if you ever see, you know what an ammonite is? Look at a shell, right? Yeah. It grows, that's the Fibonacci sequence. A leaf grows that way, a flower grows that way, our bodies, our fingers, our everything. Yeah. That is the golden ratio in nature. It's found in everything. 
And who are the life givers? Women, right? There you go. Now, here I'm just going to take you through this. Fibonacci sequence, when it's, when it's um, rounded to whole numbers, basically what you do, this rate of growth, mathematically, you take the first two numbers, you add them together, you get a sum. Then you take that sum, you add the previous high number, get a sum, and then you do the same thing and you keep going. So one plus one is what? Two. Two plus one? Three. Three plus two? Five. Five plus three? Eight. Eight plus five? Thirteen. Boom. Thirteen. The Templars were founded January 13 of 1129. Coincidence? No, it's the number of the goddess, and I'm going to tell you why. Because it's not just about Venus in the Fibonacci sequence. She is referred to as the goddess in the heavens. And once you know how to look for her, you'll find her all over the place. But you need to be initiated. You need to be taught how to see her. She's always veiled, always concealed, and never revealed. But she's always there. Now, what's another important heavenly body in the sky that is associated with the feminine? Um, the moon? Boom. You've heard of the moon goddess, right? I have not. Well, know that the moon goddess is feminine. You know why it's feminine? Because every 28 days, women have what? Menstruation, menstrual cycle. And do you know how many... 28-day cycles there are in a year? I'm going to guess 12. 13. 13. Wow. The number of the goddess, right? That's why that number is so sacred to the Templars and to the people that embrace this ideology. So let's go back and talk about the church. The goddess, they don't have any time for that, do they? No. They have put women down here, right? Right. They've you and me. It's a patriarchal religion, right? It's the word him with a capital H. Exactly. Exactly. And it's wrong because in this alternate ideology that I'm talking about, it's she with a capital S. So now you know one of the reasons and, and one of the things that pissed the church off, in addition to the money that was owed to the King of France, the Catholic Church realized that they were being duped the whole time by the Templars. They were secretly venerating the Virgin Mary. They put her up on a pedestal, but that's not who she was. She was the goddess. She was the one that was the most important, right? The church did it because they had to, and they created this story to elevate her, the Virgin. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. It's a bunch of crap. Yeah. Anyway, is it starting to make sense? This is making sense as far as the connections, the symbology, the, the I guess, narrative of what actually occurred. Um, so I guess what I, where I'm curious on the whole Venus connection and the bloodline is Jesus was of that bloodline. And obviously that bloodline was brought over here. And that's representative of the Holy Grail, as we've talked about. 
in um, this ideology um, that I'm talking about. He in this ideology. Sacred, feminine. Look, if Jesus was alive today and he saw what had become of his legacy, he would be appalled. I'll tell you that right now. He would be appalled. Anyway, go ahead. So does that also make him connected to the pharaohs? Do the pharaohs also carry that bloodline? Hell yeah. Okay. Now Hell yeah. Here's, here's where my conspiratorial mind comes into play is I recently heard, uh, and this was like, you know, probably a decade ago, but there's like a 12-year-old girl who traced back the lineages and found that at the time, 43 or 44 of all the presidents, all but one, had common blood uh, that traced back to King John in England. Well, uh, I, I can neither confirm or deny that. I don't know if it's true. But would it shock me? Not a bit. Not a bit. Yeah. I guess where I, when I hear that, it shocks me at first at face value to hear that all of them, including Barack Obama, are part of that lineage, the bloodline. But then I think, well, if that was so long ago, at some point, wouldn't a lot of people just by chance also be related to him? Or Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I said I'm connected to that bloodline. I don't think I'm special at all. Um, and there's a lot of other people that are out there. We have a, a, a genealogy in one of our lines that goes back. Look, I'd probably go back to Attila the Hun and a bunch of murderers too, right? In, in historical, so do you. Um, it's, just, it's just, we're all human. And, um, but it was a very important thing for a long time. And in certain cultures, like in England, it's still an important thing. In other, other countries, other, uh, other um in Muslim countries, it's, it's a very important thing. Bloodline uh, connections is, is everything. So um, it's nothing new, you know? Makes sense. Let's kind of shift gears here just, just for time's sake, because I know you got to go soon. Uh, yeah. One thing that really also fascinated me was, uh, let me share my screen, because I took a screenshot of it before. Um, let's see, desktop. All right, so this stone right here, do you remember this stone? <laughs> um, so what fascinates sure me do. about this stone, and I, I definitely want to get your take, obviously, yeah. but uh, in the episode where you researched this stone, this stone, along with the other stones you looked into, you went and actually traced the dirt, researched the dirt where it came from, and you found that most of them were a hoax, but then this one specifically that has very clear depictions of what is a modern-day flying saucer, uh, maybe reptilian-type beings, um, you trace the adhesive uh, through carbon dating to show that it was about 9,000 years old, or was it 9,000 BC? Which I is think very it was nine, I think it was 9,600 BP, which is before present, which is about 7,000 years, um, 7,600 years before present, which is like 5,000 years before any known, uh, arch, you know, archaeologists say this is before any known uh, culture and met what is now Mexico was even known to exist. Now, there were people living there. Of course there were. Who they were, we just don't know because we haven't done enough archaeology down there to figure out who they are. Um, and I just think that's incredible. Now, having said that, I've tested many more of these artifacts and I'm getting some more big dates. It's consistent. Now, they're not all from the same time period. They jump around quite a bit, but they're old, okay? So something's going on. But 
I'm not ready to, you know, get all wigged out on these things just yet. Because the other thing that we have not had a chance to do, and I would love to do, and I know exactly what we need to do, and that is to try to falsify these dates. In other words, can we create an artifact with modern materials and still get those kinds of dates? And there is a way that I think we can do it. I haven't tested it yet, but I'll just tell you. You, you know what a woolly mammoth is, right? Yeah. Those things were running around during the ice age mm -hmm. that melted away up here. I mean, where I'm sitting right now, there was a mile thick sheet of ice 10,000 years ago. But there were mammoths that were running around about that time, right? And going all the way forward to about 4,000 years ago, they have actually found mammoths that preserved in ice that are that young. So could they have taken some of this bone or maybe some of the tusk, grind it up, mix it with a modern adhesive? And if we tested it, what kind of a date would we get? Yeah. I mean, so I got pretty excited because I'll take it at face value, but that's not where it stops. You have to try to falsify it in this case to see if you if somebody could fake it. Yeah. Um, people will do that, especially if they think it'll make them money, right? True. One thing I really respect about what I've seen from you is even if you see a test that leads towards a conclusion, you're always trying to find the holes in that conclusion so you can find out the real truth. And I think that it seems like a lot of scientists lack that ability to see, look for flaws in their own types of thinking and conclusions. Uh, when I look at that stone, and obviously I'm not an academic, I'm not a forensic geologist, right? Yeah. It just seems like the pictures are of modern day animation quality versus a lot of the hieroglyphs and, and carvings that we've seen from the work that you've researched too. And it almost seems too good to be true if I could say that. Have you looked at the grooves? Because I know there was a one stone where you looked at the grooves and you could tell if it was new or old. Right, right. What are the <clears throat> markings on there that might also back up that it could be that old, if any? Well, you know, those are good questions. And unfortunately, these things were found buried, right? So there really isn't any weathering for me to look at. I mean, these lines, not only does the artwork look modern, I guess you could say you, it almost looks cartoonish in some yeah. cases. But on the other hand, I have a lot of these artifacts here. And I've studied a lot of them. And um, there are, if you have a second, I can run down and grab and I'll show you something that will blow you away. You ready? Hold yeah, on. 100%. All right. All right, I'm looking forward to this. All right, well, here's another one. I'm gonna put my glasses on so I can see what I'm talking about. Okay, what am I looking at here? Oh, wow, that, that's an alien head. I just saw it. I was looking at the carvings on the forehead. Right, now look at the carvings. Yeah. Okay, now that's pretty cool. Now I wanna show you the back. Is that reptiles, like snakeskin carving that I see? I'm not sure what that is. It's got like wings, almost like leather wings. But look at the text. It's holding up a baby. But do you see the symbols? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, let me show you another one here. <clears throat> are these the same ones from that episode that you guys? No, these are different. Okay. But do you see the symbols on the? Yes. Top part here. Yeah. Okay. There are all kinds of these symbols, and if you look on the back, you can see that there's a couple of, couple of dudes looking to the heavens. Yeah. And uh, wow, he's carved in 3D. Were these all found in the same place? All three? yes. Okay. Same as that one that you have. Um, here's a cool one. You see the spaceship? Yeah. And then see the guy holding the baby. I I also kind of see a cross that almost looks like a right. cross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good observation. Um, so have those been, have you found that those are seem legitimate or do some of them seem faked? One of them, I didn't even see it until you pointed it out, but it had the letters UFO carved into it, which was, was like a sign. It was an obvious. Fake. That was, that was the one in the, in the episode. Yeah. Those things were, I mean, they were, they were bad, right? They, were, they weren't even good. If, uh, the funny part was when we were shooting that, that scene, <clears throat> I noticed the UFO and I, I pulled aside and I, I grabbed the field producer, the director, field producer, and I said, hey, dude, look at this. Huh. He's like, oh, he started to laugh. I said, do you want me to point that out on camera? Do you not want to embarrass these guys? He said, no, go for it. I said, okay. And to their credit, they handled it really well. You know, they could have freaked out and gotten pissed. But in part due to their reaction and really just the whole vibe when we shot with those guys, um, I don't think they had anything to do with it. I think they found somebody else's practical joke. Yeah. Clearly, those things weren't real. Um, and the artwork is just, this stuff is fantastic. And... I will tell you these symbols that are on all of these artifacts, they're kind of hard to see. Like if you look on the side here, yeah, you'll see all kinds of them, right? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Are those the same symbols between stones? I have documented and I've written them down over a thousand of these symbols. Okay. Not one repeats, not one. So it's on those stones alone or across very a lot of Oh, I've got a bunch of them. I, I've looked at, you know, this particular one probably has 100 symbols on it. Yeah. Um, I probably looked at over 100 stones with this. Some have a lot of text, some don't. Yeah. But I'm beginning to think that it's not text anymore. I'm beginning to think that these symbols, because they don't repeat, so it's not a language. It's not an alphabet, right? So what is it? What I think it could be is symbolic representation of telepathic communication. What, what about those symbols gives you the, connects the telepathy um, conclusion? Because I don't know what else it could be. It's not a language. It's not an alphabet. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so this is all assuming that they are legitimate and that's where we're looking. Correct. Correct. But who the hell is going to make, you know, go to the work to create, Every, I mean, every symbol is different. Not one is the same. That's exactly what I would think is like, if it was a hoax, first off, 
I would like to know how easy would it be to fake a stone like that? And two, if it's, if it's hard, who's going to go through the time and effort to do that unless they're a big organization? Um, because if it's a scammer or a hoax artist, they're not, there's going to be obvious lacks in their thinkings in some places and holes, right? They're going to screw up somewhere. Along exactly. The- but right. the fact that even if it was a hoax and I wanted to fake that, I would think one of the major holes would be that there would be repeating symbols if those symbols were off in the background like that. The fact that they're not repeating. Well, that's the part that blows my mind. And this, and I did that work before we did any C14 testing on the, on the glues. So, um, I, you know, and, and I, one of the things I'll tell you, one of the things I really want to do is go down to Mexico to some of the other regions where that plate that you you showed earlier, the one we tested on the, on the show, and these pieces that came from the same area, I would like to go to that place and actually dig some out of the ground if we could, yeah. to see if the context, the provenance of where these people, uh, where these pieces came from, is uh, is legitimate. Yeah. One other thing that, uh, being that you're a geologist, I'm sure you've heard of this. I would be surprised if you hadn't. Uh, Puma Punku, have you heard of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. What's your thoughts on Puma Punku? Well, you're talking about the place that has the uh, formed stones making walls that almost looks like a jigsaw puzzle. And how the hell did they do that? Yeah, uh, I actually brought up, a, I'll share a picture of that too. Um, yeah. Because what fascinates me about Puma Punku is not only the H blocks, but the precision in right. these cuts, you know, and a lot of these blocks, you know, these sites look so big. To where it blows my mind, even in the sense of, you know, people can theorize maybe how Stonehenge was made, but I think all of that goes out the window when you look at a site like this, that right, back right. To tens of thousands of years, right? Well, when, when you go back and look at those H blocks and some of the other pieces that are repeating, it almost looks to me like precast concrete or some type of, uh, of, of polymer-based... Um, uh, mixture of, of, of some material that's been placed in a form and cast and then, and then put into place. Mm. Um, so, and, and some of these places where you see the walls where, you know, the blocks are not uniform. They're, they're, it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle. Some of those maybe were cast in place. I don't know. Now I have not been there, so I, I can't, I can't tell you, but I would love to go and, and take a look and see if these things are individual units of stone or if they've been cast if it's a if it's a artificially created material i don't know is that something you would be able to tell right away from doing a little bit of observation in person well i would be able to make some observations in person but i would want to bring some samples back cut them up do some petrographic work then i'm pretty confident i could tell you if this was a man-made material versus natural yeah if you ever go, what could I do to be able to go on <laughs> with you? You know what? My son always say, always says, dad, I got a strong back and a weak mind. I go, perfect. <laughs> Come along, you know. Um, you know, a lot of people have, uh, uh, you know, volunteered and, and would love to be involved. And um, I just consider myself very fortunate to be able to uh, have had uh, a network pay for me to go around and, and, and be a, a, an Indiana Jones type of character. But, you know, we're doing real work. 
um, and we're doing real investigations. And the one thing I will never do is lie to the audience. I'll never mislead them. You know, I'll, I'll look, I'll play ball and have fun and <clears throat> try to do a little acting, you know, going into commercial with an act out, but, um, but, but I'll never lie to them. And uh, I can't say that, you know, everybody does that. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's something that definitely seems very apparent. If anybody has watched your show, and I'm sure any, anything that you've put out, even though there are some elements of dramatization as far as carrying a storyline throughout the season. Oh, sure. Uh, <clears throat> but the that's, conclusions that, you always yeah. draw are very objective, where it's like not, it's very clearly not staged, you know? No, I, it's, it's, these are real investigations. And, and the one thing that I will say, and I'm very grateful to the network and to the production company, Committee Films, that we worked with on, on all four seasons, um, there have been times when we go into investigation and, you know, you have to have a little bit of a roadmap of where you're going to go, right? So you can film the damn thing. But we have had instances where we thought it was going to go one way and all of a sudden something that we we found or something that came up in the lab said, oh, wait a minute, that's not the way it's going. It's going this way. And we follow the evidence, which is what you're supposed to do, right? Yeah. And thankfully, the network supported that. And I think we got the right conclusion. And, and, some, and sometimes I had to come back and give people bad news. I don't know if you remember when we were in Pennsylvania and those guys carved that one inscription. Did you see that one? Yeah. And you called them out. You're like, if you guys did this, you can tell me. Yeah. Well, you should have seen what happened off camera. I was pissed off. Wow. <laughs> well, I told them, I said, look, you guys are screwing around here, creating this thing, trying to fool me. And it's a big joke to you. You know how much money it costs to send, you know, seven, eight people across the country to come film your practical joke. I was pissed. Wow. But I figured it out. Yeah, definitely. Once you pointed out why why it wasn't legitimate, I'm like, oh yeah, that was definitely created yeah, by them. Yeah. yeah. Well, they put the mud in there and the whole thing, and it looked really good. Uh, but I had I didn't see it until I was there that moment. I mean, what you saw was live. It happened. They were setting up cameras. They said, "Don't go in there. Don't look at it yet." And then action. And then I did my thing, and it was all real, right? Yeah. Never forget, I was looking at those grooves and I'm like, it looks like mud. And I could see little linear grooves following the line. And I'm like, that shouldn't be there. But I couldn't do anything yet, right? Mm. Uh, because we had to get the content. And I'm like, okay. So after we cut for the morning and then we went and had lunch, we had to climb up out of this place. Everybody had their lunches and they go sit down, right? So yeah. I went until nobody was looking. And I went into my travel bag. I had my suitcase in the truck. I pulled out a, my toothbrush. I got a bottle of water and I snuck down there. And uh, I, I, I just went, boom. And it just turned white. And I went, shit. Because you have to understand something, right? This thing had a hooked X, right? Yeah. I wanted it to be real. Nobody wanted it to be real more than me. It wasn't. Yeah. So the thing about the hooked X is like, I feel like if anybody objectively looks at your research, there's way more evidence that you've come up with that points to this being the fact of how things went 
than there probably was even for OJ being that fact that he actually. <laughs> This would Wait hold a minute. Up. Are you saying? Are you saying you think OJ was guilty? Is that what you're saying? One hundred percent. Okay, I'm with yeah. you, brother. Boom. Yeah. So this is a this brings up an interesting question. If you could hypothetically have anything that you've researched that you've thought about confirmed, which one would surprise you the most, or and which one would you, would excite you the most? Oh man. Well surprise me the most i don't know um oh god i would like i guess i would like to know what's going on um and by the way there is stuff under the denver airport they just weren't going to show us <laughs> I, I assume like yeah obviously the face that girl was so willing to show you everything with a smile that it's like it's it reminded me of if someone went into north korea they're like look all the people they're happy they're having fun you know yeah 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 right sure they are <laughs> but anyway um god that's a hard question to answer i i guess the ones that would surprise me the most is if these things indeed are as old as they uh yeah. appear to be, or at least the initial testing uh, suggests well something with that timeline is you know if I look into the research of someone like a Graham Hancock fingerprint of the gods you know oh, yeah Sphinx being old 10,000 years BC right that's around right. the same timeline right so yeah. have you looked at the Sphinx too well yeah and it's funny you mentioned Graham because he's a, a friend um, and Robert Schock who's done a lot of work in the Sphinx and in Egypt and one of the things I told Robert Schock several years ago when he was at a conference here in Minneapolis is I said, hey, Robert, you know, you're, you've been saying that the weathering, the geological weathering of the Sphinx and the pyramids suggests that they're over 10,000 years old. They go back to the Younger Dryas period. And I said, there's, there's some evidence that supports this that comes from a completely different category. And he said, what was it? I said, well, the Sphinx, right? The Sphinx that we see today is the head of a pharaoh, right? Right. That was carved about 4,000 years ago. But the original head was a lion. We got this cute little head of a pharaoh on top of this big body of a lion. No, it was originally a lion. That head was recut. And that sphinx is looking what direction? North, south? East. Okay. And funny about 10 to 12,000 years ago, which is what the geological evidence that Robert Schock says is the true age of the Sphinx. Guess what the primary constellation of the Zodiac was in the Eastern sky that that Sphinx was looking at about that time. Was that Aries? Leo the lion. Leo. That makes sense. So procession evidence in this case supports the geological work that Robert was doing, well, guess what? It's in his lectures now, Procession and Leo looking at looking to the, to the east um, because it supports the research. Yeah. It validates the geological work that he did. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and this is what we always try to do when you're investigating anything is to get corroborating evidence in multiple disciplines that all converge at one place. That's when you know you got it, man. Yeah. Uh, so I, a couple of last second questions here. I, th I feel like I kind of breezed over this, but you said there was things under the Denver airport that they just wouldn't show us. 
what about your experience there makes you 100% sure that there is something there? All I can say is, and, and you have to, um, uh, you know, appreciate the fact that, you know, people do share things with me in confidence and I don't want to break that confidence when it's something that really is important. Mm. Um, but I have been told by certain people within our government. Makes sense. Stuff underneath there. And that's, that's about all I say, but you know, you, you, I didn't answer your other question. The thing that surprised me the most would be the artifacts being real and that would be super cool. But the thing that would please me the most to be accepted and I think I will live long enough to see it happen is for the Newport Tower in Rhode Island to be accepted as a medieval structure built by the Knights Templar as the home base, as the astronomical observatory uh, selected to be at that spot by the Templars in the mid 14th century to be authenticated for what it really is. Calling it mill is insulting for God's sakes. I mean, structurally alone, the lateral forces of the wind would tear that thing apart if it was ever used for a, a windmill because you need to have steel reinforced stone and mortar structure and there's no steel in it. So yeah. it, it can't function as a windmill and who the hell is going to put a fireplace in a windmill when you're grinding grain, it would explode. It's, yeah. it's nonsense. But that's the official position. It needs to change. I think based off of what I've seen on your experiences there, I 100% agree. That one seems pretty cut and dry, especially seeing your conversation with a guy who basically is a guy who researches that and holds <laughs> the opposite view. It was more like him trying to emotionally defend his life's research and you trying to point out the facts. Look, Jim, uh, you're talking about Jim Egan, and Jim is a wonderful guy. He's a brilliant guy, um, but he is also somewhat, um, he has some ideological uh, difficulties with the Templars, shall we say? He's biased. Yes, he is. And science shouldn't be biased, right? No, no, it shouldn't. And I will, I will say one thing, because we're getting close. We're going to have to head off pretty quick, but I will just say one thing. And I think it's, it's, it's self-evident and it's obvious to most people. But one of the biggest problems we have with getting to the truth about just about anything, but especially with this history, put aside politics, put aside religion, but more than anything, one of the biggest issues that we have in all of our lives about everything that we do are problems of the human condition. We as human beings cannot stop. We cannot help getting in our own way when it comes to getting to the truth about just about anything. And when, when you look at these things like I have, these controversial artifacts, almost every single time, the biggest issue turns out to be a problem of the human condition with the people that did the investigations. Does that make sense? It does. It makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So I know you have to go here soon, but I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I have a, <laughs> I have a feeling that I could talk to you for hours. So uh, Janet, in my email exchange, your wife told me that you guys have relatives in Phoenix, Arizona. I actually have this studio that is more meant to be an in-person podcast studio. Oh, you guys yeah, are ever okay. in town, cool. If you guys are ever in town, let me know, please. I would love to go for a round two.
not if, when. When. But it's gonna, I'm just going to make one, one demand. I'm going to be a, a bit of a prima donna. Okay. I'll be happy to come down there and sit in the studio, but you have to buy me a good IPA. How about that? I love that demand. I love IPAs and craft beers. <laughs> awesome. All right, you got a deal. Perfect, man. Well, you enjoy your dinner. I know you have an important okay. dinner coming up, and we will hopefully see you in person very soon. I think you will. We are planning to go down there soon. But thank you very much, Patrick. I really enjoyed myself. It was a lot of fun. And um, you did good. Thank you. Thank you. All right, man. Well, uh, I'll, uh, I'll uh, post the links relevant to if these guys wanted to follow you on Instagram and social. And that said, uh, thank you for the podcast. It was great. Awesome. I'll have a beer for you tonight. I'm going to the bar right now. I'm going to have a beer. <laughs> nice. All right, man. Talk to you. All soon. right. Talk to you later.